The following message is made available by Truth For Life. For more information, visit us online at truthforlife.org. Well, good afternoon. All right, we're still awake. That's a good thing. Um, My name is Eric Snyder. I'm one of the elders here, and I'll let Roger and Carl introduce themselves. But let me start our time uh, by asking the Lord to help us. Our Father in heaven, we are grateful for your grace and mercy on our lives. We recognize these are undeserved, and we uh, thank you for the messages we're hearing, that we've heard, for your servants that have preached them, and we thank you for one another. And pray that as we gather in this way now, knowing that you have ordained each of us to be here, that we would help one another think clearly about this idea of eldership, and that having been together, we would see Jesus more clearly. It is in his name that we pray. Amen. Uh, Welcome. We're glad to see uh, so many people come down. This always humbles us and somewhat surprises us, but uh, hopefully we'll have a good discussion. Uh, By way of introduction, again, my name is Eric Snyder. I have served uh, as an elder here at Parkside since 2007. Um, and I have my wife, Kristen, and I have been married for 29 years in August, and I have two boys. One is 24, and one is a junior in high school, Uh, and I've been, and I think it's also helpful to know I've been at Parkside since 1994, so someone can do the math on that, but I've been there, and I'll let Roger introduce himself. Hi, I'm Roger Jones, also one of the elders here at Parkside. I can remember when I came on the board, I'm I'm too decrepit to remember these things, but I came on at the same time as Eric, so 16 years ago. Uh, my wife, Kim, and I have been uh, members here at Parkside for almost 40 years, and I have to remember that because it has to do with my wedding anniversary, so that can't be forgotten. We have three children and one uh, grandchild in the oven on the way, so we're excited about that. And uh, I'm just uh, excited to uh, hopefully share a little bit of our experience with you, and hopefully it'll be of some help. I'm Carl Anderson, and uh, I started at Parkside, which was called the chapel then, in 1981 with my wife, and we were newly married, and um, Alistair came two years later, uh, but at the moment, the church was led by the elders, and that's what impressed me, and it's like, there wasn't a senior pastor there, he had left, he had just left, and but I was just just struck by the fact of what was an elder what are these who are these guys but they were up front leading the church and um and then uh, as a few years went along and um i've been on and helping out as an elder for the last uh, 36 years so thankful for the opportunity and you know. thanks carl and roger um as we talked and prayed about what we might share today, I want to start by reading some familiar verses, which we've heard from the pulpit already. Excuse me. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. 
Uh, I've thought about this passage a lot. We use it in our membership class uh, when we when we teach that. And you know, this passage conveys the activity of shepherding, which we heard, uh, and it involves the idea of guiding, guarding, and leading the flock to nourishment. And so as we think about leadership and caring for our churches, I think this passage sets the right tone uh, for all our comments that will follow, is that we want to be shepherds who guide, guard, and lead the flock to nourishment. Uh, We've purposely uh, attempted to keep our formal comments uh, brief and leave most of our time for Q&A. From our past experiences, we found that there are lots of good questions that help us all think together. And so we want to give you a few uh, what we'll call opening or formal comments that might prompt some some of those questions. But then we plan to leave plenty of time for Q&A and just share what it is that we're learning. And I'm going to start the um, comments by just talking about some guiding principles that have been helpful to us here at Parkside. Um, If you have ever attended this particular uh, breakout session in the past, this slide might not look very different. But we did add one word to it, the fourth word there, humility, which I'm actually going to start with. Uh, Because I think this, uh, without humility, these other principles will be uh, extremely difficult, if not impossible, to achieve. And so we want to always be considering others better than ourselves. And we know that one of the marks of Christ-likeness, of godliness, is humility. And so when we talk about the ideas of unity, uh, Parity and plurality, uh, again, without humility, those ideas are very difficult to achieve. Uh, Unity, when we talk about unity for for us at Parkside, that means regardless of of the decision that we are united and not divided when we leave the meeting. Uh, That's a very important, that's very important for us. We might not all agree. Carl's going to talk a little bit more later on about uh, how unity and uniformity are not the same thing. But uh, when we have made a decision, then we certainly want to be united in that decision. And you can see without a a humble spirit how we might be tempted to undermine a decision that we didn't necessarily agree with. But a humble spirit allows us to uh, join together uh, as a team. When we talk about parity, we have the idea in mind that all voices matter and deserve to be heard. You may be part of a larger church. You may be part of a smaller church. You may have a lot of elders. You may have a few elders. But the idea is that you have more than one elder, and that's because we all have different gifts. We all think a little differently. And therefore, uh, not uh, letting everyone be heard uh, isn't a good thing. And you can see how without a humble spirit, we might be tempted to think that not all voices do matter. Maybe only the stronger voices in the room matter. But that's not uh, what we strive for amongst our elders. In plurality, slightly different. We, want, we have multiple voices, and we believe that those multiple voices must be heard. So we don't want to just hear from one voice all the time. 
We want to hear from multiple voices. And you can see that without a humble spirit, we might be tempted to think that multiple voices don't matter or, or don't need to be heard. So those are some guiding principles. These, these comments, are, again, as I said, are not meant to be exhaustive, but just to get us thinking and to, to share with you a little bit about what's helped us uh, through our years of eldership here. I'm going to just touch on one more point, and then I'm going to turn the, the mic over to Carl and Roger. But we thought it might be good to share some things that we've been learning more recently uh, at our leadership level. And the first thing I'm going to touch on our membership is that membership matters. We all probably have challenges with how we uh, handle membership within our churches. Uh, but for us, in more recent days, it's become very clear that every member needs to have a meaningful point of connection. And we can debate on how to define what that means. For now, we're, we've landed on the fact that at least a point of service and or fellowship, preferably both, but at least one of those is a requirement to actually come on as a member. If someone isn't prepared to be meaningfully involved in that way at Parkside Church, then we're actually talking to them about holding on membership and helping them find a way or helping them think through why they're not willing to be meaningfully involved. As we think about some of the challenges that we face with uh, potential discipline issues, the majority of time that a, a case gets to the point of potential public discipline, it, it's be, it, one of the factors that's common is that that person has no connection to anyone within the church. Yet they're on the membership roles, and that's why we have to, have to deal with the matter, but there's no point of connection. And so... Um, this is something that we're wrestling with, we're struggling with, to use a term that we've heard from, from the front in the last few days. Uh, but it's something that we believe is very important, and, and we wanted to share that with you. And with that, I will turn it over to Carl. Eric's currently our chairman. We're thankful for him, and he's doing a great job. Um, you know, I just stand there thinking as he's speaking, and, you know, we're in this together. And we don't, we're not standing up here as some kind of an expert or whatever. We're in here just sharing some things, as Eric mentioned, that we're learning. And we're learning together. We're learning with you. We're struggling together, as has been said already. Um, and, you know, I, I like, always like the term, you know, we're in this together. And then COVID came along, and even the you know, Ohio government stole it, and they kind of got it on their ads. We're in this together. It's like kind of lost its meaning for me. But I still like that term, and that's a real term for us, that we're in this together, and we're thankful for this. Uh, something that struck me as I think about unity and um, just recently was just, you know, reading through the Bible, as you do, and just in our normal readings, and it just struck me as I read just chapter 4 in Ephesians or thought about chapter 4, and the first three verses and the last verse. And just how do we treat one another as a leadership team um, working together? And I thought of Paul's words where he said, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness with patience, bearing with one another in love. 
eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. You know, and then you can fast forward to the last verse. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God and Christ forgave you. And that that could be our mindset and just as because humility is the underlying character trait that makes unity possible. You know, we walk into a meeting, you know, our personal preferences need to be set aside. The question is that we're trying to answer is what is best for the church? What does that look like? You know, prayerful preparation before, during, and after. Jeff Mills is always so helpful as, as a, we say we're praying for the pastor going to preach. We're going to pray. We're praying for you during as well. And then we pray for after for results. Unity is the result of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. We pray for it. We work at it. And it's a blessing from God whenever we experience it. it um, it's like the I like Jerry Bridges' illustration of the two wings on an airplane. We make every effort, and yet we're totally dependent. And it takes both wings for the plane to fly. But yet we're completely dependent on the work of the Spirit in our lives. We want to listen to one another, think out loud with one another. This is where you know we want it to be a safe environment where guys are open to say or open to say what they think, um, you know, which is the, uh, you know, that as each elder would know his mind, what he's thinking, and that he'd be able to speak up. That's difficult. Some guys are quiet. Some guys are noisy. And we have to just try to work with each other on that. Um, It's a challenge. Personalities really can make this difficult. Um, But we need a Christ... uh, centered culture. Unity doesn't mean we agree all the time. It is not uniformity. We want to strive toward unanimity, but and what does unanimity mean? It can mean that one individual disagrees, but then says, as the majority is saying, let's move forward, and we want to make this decision, and then that individual says, okay, when I walk out of here, I must walk out the door is a team, and I'm with the team, and I'm going to answer as if I'm with the team, even though I disagreed with that. Um, it also can be the flip side of that. One individual can say, you know, we were working through a big decision here, and it was, it was you know, one individual said, you know, well, what about this? That comment changed the whole direction even of what's, what's, what's going on. What is, uh, where you sat in eight today, it wouldn't have looked like that. It would have looked completely different from a brook, bricks and mortar. Um, but God just, uh, we had no envision. When we built that area of the commons area where the bookstore is, we had no vision of seating all these pastors and eating together where everybody could sit and eat a meal together. Um, God did that. God got us there, but it was... One person said, hey, you know, what about, and it changed the whole direction of where we were going. So it goes both ways, but we want to be open to each other, listening to each other. Remember the principle that if we get it wrong, God will get it right. And I can mark multiple situations here where that has happened. 
And we may have, didn't make the right decision, but God got it right. He, he fixed it. You know, communication is a key here with all of us. And communication is an important part of unity. Communication, as we think through what are our core values as we make our decisions, how do those core values develop? Um, as we heard today, what are, our, what are the essentials? What are the non-essentials? And that develops our core values. But we get that through communicating with one another. We get that through reading good books. Um, there's a book that we've read twice, What is an Evangelical by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And, um, you know, and he even talks about essentials and non-essentials there. But as we work through it, it was helpful. You know, he even says in there, one of his, his secondary truths are not essential to unity, that are not essential to unity. And then he talks about, well, what are non-essentials? And he said, but we can call them non-essentials because they are not essential to salvation. This seems to be the test. Another reason I give for calling them non-essential is that they cannot be proved one way or another. There are matters upon which scriptures are not so clear that you can say that this must be believed. And then you just think about a non-essential for a minute. Um, you know, he points out baptism, and he m mentions the age and mode of baptism. And then he says, I have been reading books on this subject for the last 44 years and more, and I know less about it now than I did at the beginning. Um, anyway, working through good books together and taking a little time in your meeting to just spend 20 minutes on a chapter, and it may take you a couple years to get through a book like this, and that's fine. But it helps you to just develop core values. It, we've read through in a couple books recently. We did both of Sinclair Ferguson's books. We did Devoted to God and then Devoted to God's Church. We like that book, Devoted to God's Church, so much that we're actually giving it to all of the, anyone that wants to be a member here now, and they're going through the membership class. So that can be helpful as we to just communicate. may need more meetings, more phone calls, whatever it takes. It, Depends on your situation. If you've, you know, three or four elders, you, a lot of times in the meeting situations, you can get that communication done. If you have a larger group, maybe a dozen elders, then maybe if there's three or four guys that are more privy to some of the information or in more information at meetings, maybe then they need to contact by phone these guys that weren't there and kind of split that up and divide that up so that we can just keep talking together to keep everybody up on, on task. Um, ultimately, unity is a blessing from God. And just in closing, I just thought about this morning. I thought about Derek Prime when he was here. And we sat with him in a, just a meeting with the elders, and we said, what's the most important thing? He said, your personal holiness. And it struck me this morning just thinking about that. And as the Lord said, be holy, for I am holy. But our own personal holiness is still the most important thing. And talking with another pastor this morning, faithfulness is another word you can use there. Um, in your own families, in the church, faithfulness. Um, Christ is building his church. Take heart. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. The gate is in a, the book, The Sticky Teams. Um, he, Larry Osborne quotes, or he thinks about this concept and said that 
the gate is, is a, um, it's not an offensive weapon. It's the last line of defense. And he's also, Christ is saying there that, you know, all the way up to the gate, there's nothing that's going to hold back the church. And even through the gates, it, nothing will hold us back. Nothing will hold back the church, and he's coming to take his bride with him. And that's a promise, and that's being fulfilled. And the, um, so that, take heart. That, that the, even though our forefathers, all the sin, all the problems of the church through the last 2,000 years, it's still going on. It's still going. And the, you know, the essential there is preach the word. Roger. Okay, thanks, Carl. Uh, I'm going to... Uh, finish up with uh, just a thought, uh, again, as uh, Eric has said, on some of the things we've been learning. And, and I guess that's one characteristic that is true of any good organization, but particularly in terms of uh, a group of shepherds leading the church, that we need to always be learning. And the, and the moment that we think that we uh, have it all figured out uh, is probably the point of greatest danger, right? Uh, and so uh, I just want to mention uh, the partnership between pastors and elders. Uh, the three of us are lay elders, meaning uh, we're not uh, full-time uh, pastors or ministers or employees, but we are lay elders, volunteers uh, in the roles that we've been given. Uh, but as you've seen through some of the people you've seen on the platform or people you've bumped into around uh, the conference, we have a wonderful staff uh, of pastors here. They are full-time devoted to service uh, and have been ordained to the ministry. Um, and again, as a, as a thing we've learned over time, uh, is the absolute necessity of, uh, the partnership between both of us, both of those groups. Uh, and, uh, like most things, we've learned it, uh, through painful experiences at times. And, um, it may be true of you, may not, but I think it's, it's typical perhaps that uh, you may have a, a team of pastors who may tend toward the younger side. Uh, they're new, they're, they're newer, younger, uh, perhaps young families. And at least for us, the elders tend to be a little more elder-looking, uh, at least me. And, and so there is uh, the possibility you have a bit of a, a, a gap, uh, a, a divide uh, that's just natural in terms of generational or age. So that doesn't help. And the pastors uh, are physically in the building. They have offices. Actually, they have offices all right beside each other. So they're co-workers. Uh, they help each other. They, they drop into each other's offices and talk about uh, a, a passage they're going to teach or a counseling challenge they have or anything else under the sun. So, you know, they have bonds of friendship uh, and camaraderie that are natural uh, and Therefore, there's an easy opportunity for us to somewhat be apart. Uh, and they have certain responsibilities, and the elders have certain responsibilities, and sometimes the lines can get a little blurry and crossed that can, deal, uh, can lend toward conflict uh, happening. So all these things are, are things that we need to combat to get ourselves to be a close team. And um, again, as I said, we've just learned over time how do we keep working on that? And I just want to mention a couple of things we do to try and build that partnership, that trust, uh, that, that togetherness between the full-time pastors and the lay elders. First of all, when we have an elder meeting, we all meet together. 
uh, for the entire meeting, with a few exceptions. And so the lay elders, the pastors were interspersed sitting around a, a table together, uh, and those meetings comprise predominantly of a time of prayer and a time of, of study and a passage of the Word uh, and some of the uh, normal affairs of the church that we have to cover. Uh, but we're in there all together, and we value each other's opinion, and, and pastors speak up, elders speak up, and when we make decisions, most times that we are predominantly together and kicking that around and looking at uh, the different sides of any particular decision. So uh, at that time when we're together, we are experiencing partnership. And we didn't always do that, and we learned that uh, that's important that we spend that time together. Uh, we pray together on a regular basis before our services. So the pastors and the elders meet together and get down on our knees and pray for the preaching of the word uh, and for the worship that's going to follow. Um, one practical area that we've uh, recently begun to work together uh, is in the area of counseling. Now, we do have a full-time counseling ministry with individuals who have been trained in specific uh, uh, expertise in counseling different situations here in the church. So people who get referred into the pastors often get uh, plugged into that ministry to deal with you know, the challenges of life that the church members may face. Um, as was alluded to a little bit uh, previously, unfortunately, we do sometimes get into those types of counseling situations that are very serious uh, for members who have committed themselves to be under the, the leadership of the church, but who uh, are not repentant in a, in a very uh, public sin, and that needs to be dealt with. Uh, and so they uh, get kind of put into a process that we try to work with them uh, prayerfully to, to deal with that situation and correct it. That predominantly has historically landed on the shoulders of pastors, uh, and different pastors would get assigned to a certain counseling situation. And then eventually uh, it, it might get bubbled up to an elder uh, meeting to discuss and make decisions about how to proceed, uh, to pray about consistently. Um, but again, the, the, the burden was on uh, the particular pastor who was dealing with that. And so a change we made um, in the last year or two is to assign both a pastor and an elder to any given serious counseling situation that is under the oversight of, of potential discipline. So any particular situation would have both a lay elder and a pastor together doing that counseling with that individual or that couple, as it may be. Uh, and we found that to be uh, of great uh, value. Uh, we all know two heads are better than one, uh, and two voices are better than one, and two sets of ears are better than one uh, in these situations. And when you're in a kind of a more one-on-one -on -one counseling situation, uh, as we all know, it can sometimes get very uh, defensive and combative, perhaps, uh, as these discussions go on. And when there's two individuals in the room, an elder and a pastor, often it diffuses things and just kind of lowers the temperature. Uh, and I would never say that there's a good cop and a bad cop, but there's two personalities uh, that can help in that situation. And again, it helps us to, to carry part of the load that the pastors carry. And it also helps us when we then discuss it as an elder board. Because if there is a serious situation that has to be dealt with, uh, we're not simply hearing from one voice, but we're hearing from two different voices uh, that together can help share and, and clarify some of the information 
about that particular situation. I mention that not to say that that goes on all the time because we pray that it doesn't happen at all, but uh, it does happen occasionally. And so that is uh, an ongoing process that, you know, there are a couple of cases usually ongoing in some path in that process. And again, it's a way that we can uh, share in that partnership. The last thing I'll say before we turn it over uh, to questions is simply uh, the, the great value that we have experienced by having um, elders who are not term limited. I hate to say life elders because that sounds like a sentence that's handed down, so we don't, we're not like lifetime, but we are uh, without limit on our term. And I know that's often a very hot topic that uh, can, can not be real comfortable in terms of church uh, organization or oversight. But we have found that to be incredibly, incredibly uh, helpful as we build personal relationships with each other. I don't know how many, I won't ask for a show of hands, but I don't know how many people, when you look at your weekly calendar and you notice, oh, I have an elder meeting this week, whether you're a pastor or an elder or some leader in the church, do you smile or do you frown a little bit? You go, oh, I have an elder meeting this week. I don't know about you, and you may think I'm crazy, but that is the highlight of my week. I go, oh, I get to go with the elders this week. We have a meeting on Wednesday night or Saturday morning. And in all honesty, that is the highlight of my week uh, because they're my brothers and I love them, and our time together in the Word is significant. And it's, 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 it's like little mini versions of what we do here at this conference. I just get so built up by being with them and being encouraged by them. So I would just throw that out to you that uh, in whatever mechanism you can use to build friendship, to build camaraderie, to build love for each other, uh, this isn't a competition to see whose idea can win uh, in a debate. This is uh, an opportunity for you to lead in a way that honors God in his church and uh, is a way that you can build lifelong uh, friendships and battle buddies in, in, in the gospel. So, thank you. So we're going to move into the time of Q&A. Um, we typically find that not everyone's question can get answered or dealt with. So uh, we, we have uh, I show 315. We're here till 345. And then we're happy to stick around and talk to anyone afterwards if if that would be helpful. So I'll open it up to questions. I see this gentleman over here. Sure, I think I'll, I'll let me give that a stab. So I guess I'll start with, the, I think, the, maybe the quicker one, which would be non-members. If, if someone's not a member, we're not necessarily dealing with them per Matthew 18. Um, but for, for members at Parkside Church, we would uh, look to Matthew 18 and follow those steps. Uh, we tend to be, I think, slow in getting to the point of telling it to the church, um, asking, you know, Carl me- or Roger mentioned the two-on-one two or two-on-two two counseling. And that tends to go on a long time. We're hoping that we can woo them to repentance. Um, but if it becomes clear that that's not a, a going to happen, um, you know, we're, that's something, to, to be honest, we're struggling with um, right now. But, but we typically then would, would read a letter before the, 
membership of the congregation, um, letting them know not the details of the situation, but that this person has, um, you know, not followed the counsel of God's word and the leadership of the church and to be praying for restoration. And uh, if they continue to be unrepentant, then at some point in the future, we would remove them from membership. It wouldn't happen on a Sunday morning. It would typically be done, we typically do that around the communion table uh, on a Sunday evening, but not relegated to a membership meeting. Just a quick thought on that, too. You know, generally, um, when there's repentance, because restoration and repentance is the, is the object of the discipline. And generally, when it's been successful is when step one has fixed the problem. And that never gets to us. It never gets to the, us discussing it as elders or the elders, you know, intervening. And it's been so seldom, unfortunately, that when we have intervened and proceeded, that it has borne any kind of, I guess, successful results of seeing restoration and repentance. But generally, it's all happening before it even gets to us. And that's when it's effective, when someone's heart is soft, they're confronted by their brother, and they repent at that point, and, and life goes on, and we never even see it. Go Bucks. Roger, you want to take that? Sure. Uh, yes, you're 100% correct. Uh, it is a, a very careful process that one must undertake to add to the elder board uh, because of the responsibility we have to shepherd the church. Um, And everybody may do that differently. Uh, We've already mentioned that we have uh, non-limited term elders, uh, and so we don't have a fixed number of elders that we uh, are required to have or need to have, but there are periods of time where we need to add some new uh, individuals to the elder board through... um, retirements, sabbaticals, moving away, the usual. Um, So we have a process we call an elder internship program uh, uh, between uh, the elders and leaders of the church. Some some, uh, individuals are identified based on the the criteria of uh, the New Testament for elders uh, and uh, a a small group, whatever the number uh, is, are identified. The eldership internship program uh, goes on for a period of time. And in essence, the individual uh, is uh, asked if they are willing, and of course they need to be willing, and then the, of course the elders need to be willing to bring them on. And then the internship program will go on for a period of time in which they participate in much of what the elders do uh, in terms of attending meetings, uh, taking on responsibilities that the under, elders would take on, uh, in terms of uh, care and teaching and uh, service uh, in the ministry. And then uh, after a period of time, uh, there would be an evaluation that would simply be on both parties 
for the elder intern to determine are they um, feeling the call of God to this uh, role, this responsibility. And, of course, the elder board themselves would have the same decision to make. Uh, do we feel this person exhibits what uh, the Scripture calls for in an elder? And uh, assuming that's in the affirmative on both sides, then uh, the person would move forward to become an elder. In our Constitution, they would be voted on by the congregation uh, to be approved as an elder. Uh, and that's pretty much the process. And it's, uh, the next question you ask typically is, well, how long does this elder internship go on? And when I was an elder intern, I had the same question, didn't I? I was like, how long is this going to go on? Um, until someone else is here to fetch the coffee. No. Um, um, we usually go 12 to 18 months. Again, we're uh, kind of like our decision-making process. Uh, slow and steady wins the race. There's no hurry. There's no urgency. And there's wisdom, I think, in letting some time uh, develop on that process. Oh, boy. All right. How about here? So the question is, how do we minister to adults with special needs? Uh, thankfully, we have, um, uh, underneath our children's ministry, we have a, a, a group that is committed to caring for um, special needs uh, individuals. We have a Sunday school class for them. Um, and, you know, it's through faithful servants who find a giftedness in dealing with uh, individuals with special needs that care for them on a Sunday morning or when the church is open Sunday evening. Um, I, I don't know if you, there's more to that question, but, but that's. Yeah, you can handle baptism. Elder. How would we handle baptism and membership for special needs? Um, I don't, we'd do it. I don't know. We'd work through it, you know, on a case-by-case situation. Whatever the desires or needs would be, we'd just work through that individually. Um, and baptism, as you probably know, we do immersion here, and um, we baptize um, believers. Uh, we... And I don't want to go into baptism, but will we? Uh, so I would think we would take it on an individual basis, and if this one desired that, and one professed faith in Christ, and we can physically do it somehow, and even if it meant, you know, we had to do something creative, and we we had a, a gal in a wheelchair that we baptized, obviously didn't immerse her, so there's we're not mode isn't the key here, and um, but if the desire's there, then. You know, we would work through it, membership or baptism, whatever, case by case.
So if you didn't hear the question, I think relates to is there um, more of an age requirement to be being set aside as an elder? Is that a fair summary? Okay. Um, you know, we, I think that's an interesting question to, to think about. Um, I don't, I can tell you because I've been the youngest uh, elder for quite some time now. Um, I'm anxious to bring some younger people on. But, um, you know, I felt when they asked me to be part of the intern process, I felt a little young and inadequate. I still had young children at home. Um, I don't know, right or wrong, the counsel I received was I was already older than Alistair when he came to the church. So he felt like I was already behind the eight ball. Um, You know, I think what we are looking for are are faithful um, men who... Uh, as Roger said, have a willingness. And not everyone has a desire to serve in that way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, you know, one of the qualifications is they should not be a new believer, and, and you're making that point. And so uh, I would say more so than physical age, spiritual age is a pretty important criteria, uh, and hopefully coming with that is maturity. Uh, and so uh, someone who is at least proven themselves, again, to something you said, uh, typically, we look for someone who already is teaching in some way in the church. We have many, many, many small groups with small group leaders, so that's typically a pool of, of individuals. They're almost what many people would think of as deacons uh, who are serving in different ministries, uh, but they have given evidence of, uh, of carefully handling the scriptures and teaching uh, and caring for whatever small flock they have. So that is, is typically something we, we look for. And I, and I agree with you. You don't want to put someone in that role who hasn't demonstrated that uh, through some evidence. And that's usually part of that process of who gets nominated. It's, and it's, I would have to say, almost always not anybody who wants to be or is asking to be, right? And in my view, that's almost a, a disqualification if someone's waving their hand. <laughs> I think... You know, as well as us identifying elders, the congregation needs to be a. You know, they they wish this individual. I think, and we, I'm not. I don't think we're as concerned about the age as the fact that the congregation would view this individual as an elder, elder qualified, elder. You know, he's teaching. He's moving about the church. He's a he's a pastor. He's an elder. He's he's got those qualifications and the. The church itself is recognizing this man as an elder before we're even considering him to be an elder, that they would see that in his life.
Well, I guess I'll start and say I think the staff is um, handling daily, we'll call it daily responsibilities. So we get calls all the time that each each of our staff pastors is responsible for a certain area of of ministry focus here at the church, um, and they're taking care of the leaders within those um, various ministries and making sure that they're um, building into them and that likewise then they're building into the people that are working in those ministries. Um, the agendas at the elder meeting are, are really designed to uh, help us think through membership. Um, we, we, we all want to be voting on who's coming into membership. Um, and so we take the word of the pastor and elders that have done the interview of a particular individual, but if there are questions, we deal with those matters at the, at the eldership level. Um, you know, the, Roger alluded to very few instances where the pastors wouldn't be in the meeting with us. Those would be more salary-type matters that the elders are, are dealing with. Um, but by and large, I think the elders-pastor partnership that was mentioned, you know, we are we are also wanting to be coming alongside our, our pastors here and helping them in the work of the ministry. So um, I, it's not a real clear cut. You know, you, everything on this side of the line falls to the pastors. Everything on this side of the line falls to the elders because we're working together. I would also add that you guys have seen or heard from Jeff Mills, I'm sure, here. And as our executive pastor, who takes care of uh, all administrative matters, which is the vast majority of, of everything, uh, and Alistair, the senior pastor, uh, uh, taking the, the spiritual lead of the church in the, in the teaching role. Uh, Jeff and his, his team of uh, senior leaders on the staff uh, wonderfully handle so many of the details and the decision-making on all the day-to-day activities of the ministry. And, and sometimes we talk about how we have a two-hour elder meeting. They're like, how can you handle all the details of this church in two hours? And there's a simple answer. We don't. <laughs> we spend half of our time in prayer and st- Bible study and just a few significant decisions that might be at our level. But there is uh, quick executive reports on things that have to do with the, the decisions of the day-to-day operations. But the, the vast majority of that is handled by that team. And. You know, just a word, a thought about Jeff. Um, you know, there are a couple of us that Jeff will be quick to be on the phone with, to be talking to us, you know, because he wants to be accountable to us. And he wants our to hear what we're saying. And so it's he's very quick. He wants that accountability, and yet he's the one that's really, you know, keeps things moving along here on a daily basis. Go ahead. I'm, I'm sorry, this gentleman, and then we'll come back to you. So the question, if you didn't hear, was how do the how are the lay elders? known among the congregation. Do you want to answer that, Carl? Uh, we, I think, you know, we're, we're involved. I teach the baptism class. These guys teach the membership class. Uh, and so we're involved there. And then I think each of us are, 
we're actually, most of us are life group leaders. So we're out in the community, and, and I really, and, you know, that's a wonderful blessing to be just with a group of, um, you know, 10 guys or eight guys around me, and, you know, we're interacting together and have the opportunity to oversee that along underneath one of the pastors who's overseeing the whole ministry there. So we're out and active in that way, I think. And One other just real practical way is uh, we, we observe the Lord's Supper communion once a, a week, uh, I'm sorry, once a month on a Sunday night. And uh, our, our pattern is for elders to pray over the cup and the bread and, and together we serve it. So again, that's uh, our responsibility and our, our uh, privilege, but it's certainly a way that we're visible to the church in terms of what we do. <clears throat> I guess I should know this, shouldn't I? Um, so we have a three-week class. Um, we could, it probably would be a lot easier just maybe to give you the, the curriculum uh, than go through it all here. But we, we, des- we design it to, to stress the importance of membership. Uh, the first week we really talk about how you can see, even though the word isn't anywhere in the New Testament, how you can see membership is communicated through uh, some of the different pictures that the New Testament gives us. Uh, And then we talk about um, life at Parkside Church and what that looks like and leadership at Parkside Church and what that looks like and follow it up by really driving the point home of what are are the responsibilities for membership. And and that's when we talk about the idea of being connected uh, and... So that would be a very fly-by overview of the membership process. So that's the three-week class. And it doesn't obligate you to proceed with membership, but, but if you fill out an application, that's how we know that you want uh, to go through membership. And then we set up a meeting uh, with a pastor and an elder. Um, we will interview married couples together, anyone else just one-on-two. And uh, the point of that is to hear their testimony and to the best sense, we're not trying to be a judge, but to the best sense of our ability, know that they understand the gospel and can communicate it at some level, which is the basis for our unity. And then we would be happy to welcome them into membership at that point in time. And that's when we take it to the elders for voting. Mm-hmm. Uh, let, uh, go ahead. That's not correct. If, if, if that's what I said, I, I misspoke. So the membership class is an informative class. Um, we've actually seen people come to know Christ through the membership class um, because, again, the gospel is presented in that class. So the, 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 where we want to hear an articulation of the gospel is when they're sitting with us one-on-one um, because, obviously, membership isn't, necessary if they're not first attached to christ no that's 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 the last step in the process okay how about way in the back uh i never i should know this i never know exactly how many elders we have i think we have 13 12 12. 13 okay we meet twice a month 
The second Saturday morning, the fourth Wednesday evening is our pattern. Saturdays from 7.30 to 10, roughly. Uh, Wednesdays from 7 to 9, roughly. Um, And what was the third question? Or was that, did I answer? Okay. How about you? Rob, I'll get to you next, Rob. Go ahead. Well, I think maybe it's a big, maybe the question, maybe the question, let me, let me put it in my words and see if it means, I think, how do you as a group of 13 elders manage, you know, you've got 3,000, 2,500, 3,000 people coming through here on a Sunday morning. How do you shepherd that group? We do it with our life group leaders. And, you know, we have life groups out there, whether we're in one or not, we, these, all these life group leaders are now underneath a pastor who is month, was it bi-week or bi-monthly or monthly meeting with the life group leaders and, um, and overseeing what's going on in each of those groups. And those guys are out there in the field. They're, they've got their groups. And so as if the individual in the group has an issue that needs to, the life group leader is aware of it, then if it's an issue that needs, the elders need to be aware of, it moves on to there. And um, that's why they have to be connected. And even we've taken it another step in our membership interview, and they're coming in now. And are you connect? you know, where are you connected? Where are you serving? Where are you, where are you, where are you connect? But it's mainly where are you connected in some kind of a life group, as if it's serving or fellowship, where are you connected? Well, I'm not yet. Okay, we're going to wait for a little while. You let us know when you're connected. Then come on back and we'll continue the conversation. Yes. There, yes. Rob. The short answer is no, but I didn't say anything. <laughs> oh, and I get the longer answer. Okay, I see how it is. Um, no, Rob, you're right. That's 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 critical. And and one of my friends here in the group told me the other day that uh, a church is often can be like a family. Uh, from the outside, it always looks better than it is, and from the inside, it always looks worse than it is. And uh, that's, we can attest to that in our families, and we can attest to that uh, in our church. And so I say that just to say we don't have everything figured out. And we, we sometimes identify gaps and challenges that we need to keep working on to address. And this is just a never-ending, ongoing one. How can we better be connected to our people? And some of the things we've been talking about is, are new as a result of that. The idea that you can't become a member here unless you're serving, ideally, you are serving in one place and you are fellowshipping in, in some type of Bible-focused study group in another place. 
uh, because that is how we make a big church little, and which is what we are trying to do. Uh, but we have had some fits and starts in the past of thinking through how can we divide up the membership amongst different elders, uh, and that just has not worked. I think it's just too too difficult. But uh, there is nothing worse than to have a, 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 a urgent need identified by someone who calls the church office and we all look at each other and no one knows who they are. That is what we want to avoid uh, and why we want people to be connected. You mentioned 12 or 13 or 11 or 12 elders. Does that include pastors, paid staff, and then you also mentioned earlier in the presentation that the elders and the pastors met together. So when you're doing your twice-monthly meeting, who all is in that, and are your pastors considered elders, or are you drawing a distinction between the two? Or is there an equality thing between them when it comes to managing the church? So the question is, are pastors also considered elders, and who meet, who's actually in the elder meeting? Um, so our pastors, some, many of our pastors are elders, not all of them. Some of our younger pastors have not been affirmed as elders as of yet. But uh, we, we've, as they are here for a period of time, then we would also affirm them as elders as well. Who's in the meetings? Uh, all our pastors and elders are in the meetings. So, and, and paid staff would not be part of those meetings unless they're pastors. Yes. Carl's been doing it the longest. I'll let him yeah, answer. There you go. <laughs> How long does it take? It it varies. <laughs> yeah. It varies, it depends, but, you know, there's multiple hours probably each week. Um, that, And then it's just prayer. It's just, it's all the conversations that you have as you walk through the hallway. It's, it's you know, elders are pastors. And, you know, we're, we're just, you're just fulfilling your ministry as you move around. Along those lines, can you just help, help me uh, understand how you balance uh, family and your own spiritual uh, time as well as uh, church ministry? Uh, it's always just an ongoing challenge. And, and God gives, if God wants us there, God's calling us there. Right, 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 yeah. I, you know, I probably put in 60 hours a week at work, along with, you know, home and then church. So it's a full schedule. Um, the only thing I would add to what Carl said, if you remember that, and, and this will be the last formal question because we're at 345, um, the title of the slide, the first slide, was Bearing the Burden Together. And so when it comes to matters at, at home uh, and work, uh, thankfully we have one another that have our backs. And when there's seasons of uh, more stress at home or at work, then there's grace. There's actually an opportunity to take a sabbatical if necessary. Um, but there's plenty of grace, and, and we help, we pick each other up. And um, I think that's a, a good way to end this session. So maybe I'll ask Roger to pray for us, and then you can, can enjoy your afternoon, and we'll stick around up front. Yeah, let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for uh, your church 
And we emphasize always that it is your church, not ours. And uh, you have promised to provide all that is needed uh, for that church to march forward uh, through time. And we just are thankful that you have uh, called us to the roles you've called us to. And we pray as we've talked these things over today that uh, there may be some things that were helpful, and if there were not, they can be forgotten. But we pray that you would help strengthen each man present, uh, that as we fulfill the calling that you have placed upon us to lead your church, that we would do it well, that we would be godly in all that we do, we would live holy lives, and that you would fill us with humility, that we might bow before Christ and serve your church. And we pray this in your name. Amen. You've been listening to a message from Truth For Life. You're welcome to pass this sermon along to others, but please don't charge for it or alter it in any way without written permission from Truth For Life. This content has been provided to you free of charge by the generous supporters of Truth For Life. For additional information about how you can support Truth For Life, please visit us online at truthforlife.org. There you'll find free message downloads from Alistair Begg, as well as links to our podcast, mobile apps, and other resources to help you grow in your Christian faith. Again, the website is truthforlife.org. You can also follow us on Facebook and Twitter to stay in touch with Truth For Life and Alistair Begg. Truth For Life, where the learning is for living.